Welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 163. We're joining you every week to talk IT career progression and bring you the advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host, Nick Cordy, at Network Nerd underscore on Twitter, filling in for my normal co-host, John White, at VJourneyman. We are both pre-sales technical engineers with backgrounds in IT operations. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey to career enlightenment. So let's take a trip. All right, we are in the middle of a trilogy of episodes with Louise Bunyan as our guest. Last week in part one, we heard about what talent marketing is and a little bit about Louise's job now in the hiring process. We talked about her early career as an events assistant, how she relocated to another country for a couple of years and did something totally different, but how she also found and noticed a skills gap that she needed to fill. If you missed that in episode 162, that was part one, definitely go back and give it a listen. This week in part two, we're going to find out what happens next. Once you gain some education to fill a skills gap, how do you gain experience? Well, we're going to hear a great story right off the bat as soon as the interview starts on a very interesting way to gain experience when you don't have any, but you have the education. And how do you relate that experience to an employer that you want to hire you? Louise has some great answers for us. I'm not going to spoil it. We'll follow Louise through recruitment marketing and hear about some new methodologies she learned, including Scrum. She'll also take us on a deep dive of search engine optimization. We've heard about it with other guests, but she goes deep with us and gives us some great tips. And then she'll also share how being made redundant was actually the genesis of her starting her own business and developing a specialty. But enough talking, let's get to the interview. Here we go with part two of our interview with Louise Bunyan. Louise Bunyan, welcome back to the Nerd Journey podcast. Thank you so much, John. Delighted to be back. And, and I should say, um, I missed the first recording uh, session that we had with you. Uh, I was a little bit ill and I, I felt really bad, but, you know, listen back to it and it was really uh, fascinating. But for those um, who maybe have lost the context, could you remind us who you are and what your current position is, what you do there? Absolutely. So my name is Louise Bunyan and I am based in Cork in Ireland. And today I am a talent marketing specialist with VMware. And I also have a small side hustle called Smartbox, where I specialize in LinkedIn training for sales professionals and job seekers and students. Awesome. That's fascinating. All that is, you know, spawns so many questions. Uh, again, I want to encourage people to go back and listen to uh, the first um, session that we did with you. Uh, more accurately than Nick did with you. But I think one of the things that listening back to that really kind of, you know, the questions that it spawned in me were you, you talked about getting training in digital marketing 
And I was hoping that you could maybe expand on that a little bit. You know, that, again, that process that got you there, like I think it was being made redundant. And then, um, you know, what that training was like and where it took you. I suppose I, I was in New Zealand for two years uh, and I was teaching English to international students. And I had studied communications and public relations before that. So I came back from New Zealand, let's say December 2011. All of a sudden I, I was applying for like these, these jobs, these digital marketing jobs. And I thought I was great because I'd volunteered at the third biggest sporting event in the world. Um, and I, I thought I'd walk back into actually there were PR jobs, public relations jobs in that stage. And I was just I kept being hit with like, no. And it was basically because digital marketing had just exploded in the two years I had been away. And I knew that like people who I had studied with in my postgrad were now directors and public relations companies. And they were all going back, getting like their diploma certificates in digital marketing. It had become that like essential really at that stage. So um, so I was very, very, very lucky that I, I saw um, a government funded course in um, creative digital marketing in my local university. And I applied and I got in. And that was basically the, the next chapter of my life. And I didn't realize it at the time. So it was um, a five month course in, in basically everything from like Google Analytics, Google Ads. We had to write our own blog, but I loved it. Now I love third level education, but I got to our part of our course was um, master's level lectures in like consumer behavior, in market research, all that amazing kind of psychological aspect. So I loved that part of it. And then while I was doing that, um, I was going horse riding and I love horse riding. And the the stable, the guy who ran the stables, like his website was terrible. It was avocado green. Um, and the font was like, that was the background. It was avocado green with like black font. It was terrible. And he won't mind me saying that. I don't know. I don't, maybe living in New Zealand for two years, I just got a bit braver. So I bartered with him. I approached him and I said, I am doing this course and your website is terrible and you have no, you're not on Facebook, you're not on Twitter, you're not on YouTube. Can I do all of that for you in return for free horse riding lessons? So every hour I give to you, um, I would get a horse riding lesson back. And he said, you know what, you show me what you got. And if it works, then we, we can come back to this. And afterwards, he told me that he was skeptical, but he was willing to give me a shot. And then he said I was a diamond in the rough because I was one of those like 10% of people who would say I'll do X, Y and Z. And then not only did I do it, but I far exceeded his expectations and my expectations. And so I did. Yeah, I loved it. I, I re redid his website. Um, search engine optimization to the max. Um, it's appearing on page one now. I think it's up around number four or something on page one. And created a YouTube channel, took videos. I was a content producer, creator before I even knew what those words were. And so for me, that was all great. But then I started to see new clients. And then I started to see parent new parents coming along with new kids. Then interestingly, there were other women like myself, I was kind of in my 
early 30s at that stage they started coming for horse riding lessons and then uh, about four women bought horses and uh, they wouldn't have their own land so he was able to they would pay him for it's called livery library where you, you just pay for a stable and then all of a sudden some kids started their parents started buying their kids ponies and then he had to build i think eight new stables to to house all of this Oh, I want a pony. <laughs> you want a pony. <laughs> um, so for me, it was actually the first time I could see see something end to end. So as in somebody does a Google search, I created a frequently asked questions page because I knew some people were a bit nervous, you know, like, do I need to have, buy my own hat? You know, do I need to be my own boots? Like that equipment's really expensive. Um, so I addressed kind of all those in the frequently asked questions page. So I could see, you know, oh, this person sent in an inquiry and then next thing they turn up and then six months later, they've bought a horse and then you multiply that by scale and then he ends up building extra stables and he's getting in more money. So it was kind of the first time I was just like marketing is powerful, like marketing works. And so then when I finished my course that summer and I was in the, the stables all the time, um, I saw a job for um, an online marketing executive with uh, a global uh, recruitment agency based in Cork, uh, nine offices globally. I went for the interview, um, I got the job, and afterwards uh, they told me I was a wild card, but one of them had like had a good feeling. And what they really loved was the bartering with the horse riding stables and the fact that I was able to show how I contributed to that business, uh, making money and, and generating customers and getting leads. Sorry to interrupt. I was wondering how you wrote that up on your resume. Like, did you put metrics down like before you were applying or was that an afterthought? Yes. Um, nobody told me to do it, but I, I kind of instinctively knew. So I had an Excel document with all the the starting metrics, basically, the day I started volunteering or interning, I suppose, for for Sean. So I had like website visits, number of inquiries coming through the website, and they were all quite low. So yeah, I was able to kind of keep track after like three months, six months, eight months, and see, actually, it was very surprising for me to even see the growth in that. Um, and how I wrote it up on my CV, um, I put it in as a job and of course I asked um, the owner of the stables could I do that and he was like absolutely and he was a reference as well so that that was amazing and that was quite powerful and also when I brought it up in interview the two interviewers laughed you know and in a good way and they thought it was really interesting and then they're like well you know you have no problem negotiating and, and we can see your you know your initiative through that and over time, I suppose, any time I had an, had an interview, maybe in the five or six years kind of after that, I would kind of bring it up and I would always get a very warm, positive reaction. And I would always, the word negotiate and initiative would always kind of be mentioned in that context. So while it wasn't unpaid, it was actually a game changer in hindsight. And perhaps that's a lesson that, you know, if you are going to do something and you're really passionate about it, put it on your CV, you know, turn it into a job and see what you can get back out of that. Especially if you could put a metric there, increased website visits from X to Y, you know, generated 20 new customers. Or, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
new customers per year the previous year or year over year, you know, new customer growth was, you know, X percentage. But by the way, you said X, Y, Z, and it's fine for you to say X, Y, Z. We'll understand what you're talking about. I think no this problem. speaks to a higher lesson, though. You know, we've talked about in previous episodes with other guests about documenting our work. Not only did she do the work, she documented it and the progress of the work and the impact that it made. And without that stuff, you don't have the metrics for the resume. So if you're doing something like this, whether it's on the side or, or whatnot, keep track of those metrics because you're going to need them to tell that story. And the way you told the story, I won't say, I'm not going to use like a, a cliche term, but it's, it's sort of like, that comes out of nowhere and hits someone in the part of their brain that, oh, I didn't expect that. And that's super interesting and innovative of this person to have come up with on their own. Yeah. Yeah. And I think as well with digital marketing and you've all these tools, there's so many tools to use. It's one thing being able to sit there in an interview and say, I know how to use these tools. Like that will get you a tick. You know, that will definitely get you a vote, let's say. But critically, and I've learned, it's one thing knowing how to use the tools, but it's another thing knowing how to use them properly to generate more revenue and to be able to, to use that um, to report well, back Louise, to the I can say I can say I know how to use those tools. I, I don't, but I can Absolutely. say that I do, Yeah. right? But to have proof of work, right, to be able to show business impact and then have a business owner say, yes, Louise definitely did do that. And in fact, those numbers are a little bit out of date. And I've had to, uh, my main problem right now is access to capital to expand my business quickly enough. You know, that that is like a massive, massive proof point to be able to say say that. And, and you know, even just backing up to say, you know, so you would imagine that like this is an industry which isn't necessarily something you'd point to and say, you know, oh, you know, it's going to be, you know, f shaken at its foundation every three years. But, you know, in sales engineering, for example, you know, what Nick and I do, we constantly have to learn because things are constantly changing. But that's not just our industry, right? That's almost every industry is being affected by technology and that ability and willingness to go back and learn and, and take new courses, even at, you know, graduate level courses you know and then do you know the proof of work is just key to everybody's continuing like upward trajectory in their careers right absolutely and and you know through my linkedin training i've worked at some job seekers and they might not have third level education um and because they don't have a degree they're always a bit embarrassed over it or, or how, how do i go about this now in my linkedin and i have a degree and a postgrad two postgrads but I still have to I still have to, to do my Google Analytics Academy courses I still have to like there's a new feature on something or there's a new tool like I still have to sit down and learn it and it's just it's essential and the sooner you make your peace with that that you will never be you know, you you never know at all, like that, because as you said, things are like developing and moving so quickly, and tools change, tools upgrade, they get new features, and actually part of the work I'm doing with VMware 
is is training and enablement and, and we can just see how, how vitally important that is for our recruiters and sourcers to be upskilled in the basics of using the Beamery tool, but also there's a lot of new features coming out and there'll be even more coming out over the next year. So we're actually putting in place um, a training and enablement plan. And so every time there's a new feature, we, we've set a target that we would ourselves, our small team will be trained up within about three weeks and then we'll create um, either bite-sized training then for our recruiters and sourcers to make sure that they're upskilled in the new features. So as you say, it's just a part of life and you always just have to upskill and train and move along when things um, are new and, and new features come along. It almost feels like, it, you know, that there's a shift in paradigm that coursework experience and proof of work is going to trump like a degree with no experience because so many of the jobs that are out there now there's not like a clean degree that like necessarily like you could have a degree in marketing but have never had exposure to digital marketing within like a traditional marketing degree depending on where you went and what the coursework of the of the school is right and that you might have that degree but you might get beaten out for jobs by somebody who has like a certificate, a secondary school education, a certificate, and then terrific proof of work, right? Now that probably still necessitates like, you know, lots of writing and, you know, good, you know, editing skills and, and, and things like that, um, which would be maybe the equivalent, but you know, just it start it. I feel, I don't have any good numbers on this or metrics, but that the foundations are shaking underneath us for, for this type of thing. Again, not a question. This is uh, the John White interview technique. I, that's an observation. Right. That's uh, that's become part of John's style. He just makes yeah. an observation, and but it's a good one. Yeah, I think what's happening is that you know you're you're talking about this, and it makes me have a realization, and then I feel like I need to articulate that you know before it's kind of like a oh wow you've just made me realize X. So yeah. No, I and now agree. I'm having a meta conversation about my <laughs> interviewing. So. No, I agree completely. And as you were saying it, I was just thinking that um, it's that catch-22, isn't it? It's like you have a degree, but you, when you are a graduate, it's that jump. It's that leap. Just trying to get an employer to, to give you a shot, to give you a chance. It's just trying to get that, that work experience. It's trying to get that hands-on um, to be able to turn around and say, I've ran Facebook ads, you know, and, and this was the impact of that. And I think for a lot of job seekers out there, if they're trying to move like from one role into another, if they're trying to move up in their career or an intern or a new graduate, it's really just trying to to crack that, that, I was going to say that ceiling, you know, in, into getting the hands-on experience. And that can be the m most difficult thing and it can be very frustrating and like I, I i know that feeling i know that pain but there's nothing stopping you from freelancing there's nothing stopping you from reaching out and even just saying to somebody take me on on a contract like four weeks two months six months a contract if it doesn't work out we shake hands we work away we walk away and we remain friends at the end of it that's a very lucrative risk free or low risk option for any employer 
and it's a win-win, you know? Sure. Yeah, that's really good. And, you know, what you were saying earlier reminds me of some of the managers or leaders who have been on the show and said that they expose leadership tasks to the people who report to them who want to go into leadership someday so that they can get a little bit of that experience. But I'm sorry, I, I interrupted, I think, your flow because you were you're talking about growing that into kind of a series of freelance gigs. Am I correct in, in where you were going? So I wasn't, I suppose that would have been like my first little foothold into freelancing unbeknownst to me. And then I got my, my job, my full-time role in um, right. the multinational recruitment agency. That's right. So that was my, my foray into recruitment marketing. And little did I know, you know, how how important that was going to be um, over the years. So like that, in hindsight, that was a great role. I went in as an online marketing exec. Then my manager went out on maternity leave. So I covered her role for about seven months. And then when she came back, then I was promoted to online marketing specialist. So I got to see like the full scope of recruitment marketing. And I think for me, one of the most fascinating parts of it was, well, I should say, actually, I got to see the full scope of like online recruitment marketing. So I was in a web team and um, all the functionality, basically, that ha every all these things that have to like talk to each other. So, for example, a job board, you know, like uh, what would we say, like Indeed.com or any of those monster. So how a job gets posted on there through your own software, how the CVs are handled when they come in, how they get into the database and how they end up in the recruiter's inbox and how all the comms, the emails back and forth are managed. And then if the person is, is fortunate enough to get the role, how that's tracked. So that was fascinating. And I worked with lovely developers on that. And really I learned how to be the go-between between the, the business on the one hand. So you might have CEO of one of the offices. This would happen a bit saying, oh, our competitor has a new section on their website. Uh, we want that. And then I learned, you know, through my manager, I learned to kind of say, well, what's the business need behind that? And, you know, how are we going to measure success? And once you started asking those questions, the whole request kind of fell apart because it was like, well, they have it, so we need to have it. And then you're like, but why do we need to have it? And so I thought that was quite funny. I also had to manage like tickets for things that needed to be fixed on the website. And that's actually where I began to use Scrum. Um, and I did a two day training course back to training. So I had to I asked if I could attend um, a two day full day training course. And it was brilliant. And I came back like a mini expert in Scrum. So that that was kind of like my first kind of corporate role. And we won't even get into the whole like corporate aspect, you know, just learning how to behave and manage, you know, conference calls and emails and corporate etiquette and managing workload. You know, that was all quite new to me as well. I think it's all about the jargon. You have to start. <laughs> it's, it's all the same things. You just have to you have to start you have to use the corporate jargon. You can't say sales. You have to say the go-to-market team. Yeah. Or, you know, things like that. 
And if you're following along, when we say scrum, we're not talking about rugby. No, no. <laughs> but uh, my brother actually told me he, a big tip was um, always make sure you have a prop when you're going to a meeting, Louise. You need to have a notebook and a pen. Back in yes. the days when we used to have, you know, physical in-person meetings. That That's so funny. It It's fascinating to me that you would uh, do scrum training for digital marketing. Like I always associate that with more of a software product project management which i think is you know probably where it was born out of mm -hmm. but of course it is a general product and project management technique so using scrum would be very natural especially if you're anywhere close to technology yes um well, i suppose i was in the the web team and we had a team of developers, you know, that we were were working with. So we were kind of like the the go between, let's say, between. So the business would have all these needs, and then I suppose we would determine which ones were realistic and not realistic, and then prioritize them. But then I suppose we used like Jira, Jira, Jira tools, mm -hmm. um, and we would write up like the user stories, and we would work in sprints. Actually, it was I have to say it was great. I loved it and it was organized and everybody knew what they were doing and we could go back to the business and say that's a higher priority has come in ahead of you you know it was it was good you know to be able to kind of um manage work and workloads and tasks that way um and it was very um transparent and it was very it wasn't biased you know it was quite a neutral way just at looking at work and priorities and kanban learned did a bit of kanban there as well so um i'd say it's great yeah um and I, I project management would have been a big part of my role there as well and what you're talking about is having because in the role you were in as the translator between the teams you're the person who understands the dependency chain that occurs between what someone wants and what it'll look like and not the the people on both sides of you probably don't fully understand the process from a holistic perspective like you do and you almost had to be we we would call ourselves like translators like any of the marketers because sure. you have the operation side of the business which is high volume sales recruitment especially when you're working on commission is not an easy place to be and it's a very reactive you know intense um environment and we would have to kind of translate those demands for our developers, you know, who would speak a completely different type of language and then vice versa, you know, take kind of developer speak and say, oh, well, if they want 100% of the project, that could take us six months. But if we do an iterative approach and if we do this little bit, then we can get that done in like a month. And so then you have to kind of go back then and kind of, translate that back then to non and i'm going to make sweeping statements like non-technical people then sure this like the concept of like well you know we could deliver the whole thing in waterfall method right big bang at the very end where you don't have any feedback along the way or we could deliver kind of the minimum viable product mm -hmm. and then you could give us the feedback and then we could you know tune it along the way to what you actually need because maybe what you think that you actually need right now is not you know when the rubber meets the road so to speak you know you realize oh 
you know, actually, you know, it'd be better if it was slightly different. Or now that I'm doing the thing, maybe my feature priority is a little bit out of order. And you start getting that feedback and ultimately probably deliver a better product at the end. Yes, but then I'm just laughing to myself because, you know, in a high volume sales environment, um, it's like, I want it and I want it now. Of course, it needs to be finished yesterday. Oh, uh, yeah. Day before yesterday. But then you can always turn around and say to them, and I want a pony. <laughs> and you can get one. And I know how to get one. <laughs> exactly. That's so fascinating. Can Can I ask about the blogging part of that? Was there a blogging program that you started there? There was, yeah. That was actually one of my favorite, probably my most favorite project. So before I had joined, the online team had made a decision that they were going to go after website content, blogging content in a big way um, because they knew they could see, you know, search engines were kind of changing. So people, like typically they say only 6% of employed people are like actively seeking to change jobs. So that means only 6% are like typing in digital marketing vacancies cork. Whereas what other people might be typing in would be how do I negotiate a salary increase? Or when is it time to change job? Or CVs actually would be a big one, um, you know, CV tips or interview question tips. So the company I was working for were actually quite ahead of the curve, I'd say, on that one. So the recruiters um, had a task to, to create, like each team had to create a certain amount of blogs um, every month. Nothing strenuous, something that was like quite manageable, maybe. And because I had taught in New Zealand, qualified teacher, trainer, I did a, a train the trainer course when I came back. Um, so again, more upskilling. Great course, actually, because I'd studied digital marketing and I really loved the blogging part. And because I was, I was getting into my kind of creative writing um, at that stage. And actually, when I was teaching in New Zealand, I, I created a, a writing module like for the students. So um, I, I learned how to kind of teach writing, if that makes sense. So I perfect project for me. And I put my hand up and said, I'd love to do this. This is very funny. I could only have certain groups of the recruiters. We could only take them off the floor for an hour. So I had to teach them like blogging for beginners, let's say in 50 minutes plus 10 minutes for questions. And I did. So I put together really cool presentation a bit workshoppy in it and um, taught them like what SEO was and I suppose why <laughs> why they have to blog as a recruiter and how this can benefit them I loved it and we rolled it out across Ireland and I went over to London and we delivered it there and then I trained up all of the marketing executives in each of our offices and then they in turn delivered that training then to the recruiters and con volume of content produced went up, website visits went up, number of CVs went up, number of job applications went up, everything just went up. It was great. I'm fascinated by that, you know, two things that you just said there. One was the l spreading out the writing over a large team. Mm -hmm. Like, so the the impact doesn't fall on any one person, right? Like that is fascinating and makes a ton of sense to me 
um, rather than having it be like one person's, you know, intense uplift. And then the second thing that you said, like you're maybe the third person that we've talked to who's mentioned SEO um, when talking about doing content development. And I'm wondering if maybe you can expand on that a little bit. We haven't had a chance, you know, for someone to to really talk about. Like, I'll tell you, like, my interactions with SEO have not been great, right? Like, I've had, like, kind of the basic plugins and WordPress that tell me to, like, you know, oh, hey, you know, you need your title to kind of reflect like the keywords <laughs> that you want people to you know, say, and then, Hey, you haven't actually put in, you know, the title of the, uh, the blog post, like, you know, in, in the blog, like four times, you know, uh, you know, so it's just, it feels like so crude, but I just assume that there's like an elegant version of it out there that is not like a club. And I'm just, I'm hoping that that is true and that you could, maybe uh, expose us a a little bit to to that i'm a words person right so it all comes down to words i'm also a marketer and it all comes down to people okay so user behavior what what do people need to know and so if you think of like venn diagrams almost it's like what words are people putting into search engines what are their questions queries pain points what information are they looking for? And a simple example I give is I want to go to Greece on my holidays and I want cheap flights to Greece. What do I type into Google? I'm going to go cheap flights, Greece. Amazing. Okay. You're an SEO expert. Um, so that's, that's the first one. Okay. So but I wouldn't title my blog cheap flights, Greece, right? Why not? Because that's oh. what people are searching for. Okay. Okay. Right. How about how to find a cheap flight to Greece? <laughs> oh, or hundred things you five need to tips know. to find a cheap flight to Greece. Amazing. So my work here is done. So look, that's that's one part of it. Okay. You taught me um, well, Louise. I did, Nick. So that's one part of it, right? You have to kind of meet people where they're at. And there's no point reinventing the wheel. It's it's very basic words. Okay. What people are looking for, you have to have them on your website. Google will help you. So one of my favorite tools is Google Search Console. Um, it used to be called Google Webmaster Tools. And I was even doing this today and yesterday. So when you have that hooked up to your website, you can download a list of the top 1000 search queries that people are putting in um, and landing on your site for free. This is all for free. And um, John's making faces here. <laughs> I think I've blown your mind. Sounds like we need this for our own blog site. For your or, own blog. Yeah, podcast site. Well, we've only been doing this for three years and <laughs> didn't know that. So so you download your list and um, it, it gives you tabs at the end. So it gives you four columns and it gives you the number of clicks per, per query. So you obviously rank from like the highest to the lowest. Then in the next column, it'll give you impressions. So how many times that is appearing in the Google search results. Then it'll give you the click through rate. Um, So you can see, is it getting a high number of clicks or low number of clicks? And then the next column, it'll give you position. So obviously, if you are on, if you're number 30 in the search results, you're on page three, that significantly lowers the potential of clicks because 
they say the best place to hide a dead body on the internet is on page two because nobody goes beyond page one. Well, I do. I'll go as far as like the sixth or the seventh page because I don't believe the whole internet can be whittled down to the top 10 search results on page one. So that's regardless. And, and I used to, to write website copy before and I was in my own business and smart box and I so this is these are my steps that's number one download your search queries and it is just a wonderful way of seeing what are you appearing highly for what what is low searched and you're on page one for I'm sure that's no good like you know if if nobody's clicking on that what are the, the 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 really good keywords and you kind of instinctively know them it's like well that's us like that's us in a nutshell like these four or five words, but we're way down on like page 60, you know? It's kind of like more of an intuitive thing. So basically I'll color code things going, great phrase, great phrase, amazing keyword, very competitive, no wonder we're down on page 50. So I'll color code them. And then I'll color code the ones that, maybe in green, that are like, I'm happy with them. Do you know what I mean? So like, if you Google VMware, we're number one amazing okay so and we get a huge number of clicks so when that kind of work is done almost with, with those ones but it's the ones that are really good strong phrases and the words that you're not appearing highly for you're not getting load of impressions for and you're not getting a lot of clicks for that's kind of like a signpost for you almost you're kind of being spoon-fed here are your top five phrases um, and the great thing is once you have them you go to work on your site. You look at your your meta titles, you look at your meta tags. Are they actually clickworthy? Like if they were to appear in a search result, the way you've written it, like will somebody click on it? That's kind of where you get your copywriting kind of expertise coming in. And then you, a very cynical way then is to just start pumping out your blog content for those keywords, drive up the volume of those words on your site but it has to be quality you know because of the google algorithm really good quality and yeah. i have a very practical example i give away all my secrets back when i i started freelancing so i know we're skipping ahead but i got made redundant couldn't get a job i interviewed for five months and i started freelancing and a, a training company got in touch with me and they said uh, oh, we we see you 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 do a lot on LinkedIn and and digital marketing. Would you like to be one of our trainers? And I said yes, absolutely. So imposter syndrome was kind of kicking in, but I thought like, I can do this. So one of my first gigs when I started out, my very first one was like full day LinkedIn training, and I thought that I would get I thought I would get like the slide deck, everything. I, th I thought I'd just have to rock up. I didn't. I got now I knew this two weeks beforehand, I got four slides. I got a blank template, I got the cover slide, I got two other slides, and I got an attendance form. So I had to create a whole day's worth of, of training content. I think I created over like 90 slides myself. So not only did I have to create the actual content, they gave me five bullet points. Um, I had to, to create it. But the great thing was, because I created that content, that was my content. So the, the company didn't own what I created. So I was able to flip that into um, Smart Fox branding. 
I, I began to get more and more LinkedIn training through this company because because they were just delighted, you know, that the clients were delighted and there was such a need for LinkedIn training um, and their search engine optimization was really good. So they were appearing like far higher than me. I think I was on page two of Google and they were like number one or number two. I, I started to do some work on my website, the more I specialized in LinkedIn training and but I wasn't getting the gigs. I was still, all my, a lot of my work was still coming through them. And I found out, I found out they were getting paid X amount, a big amount. And then I found out that I was only getting a small percentage of that. And I asked for more to up my rate. And they basically said, we can finish your contract now if you want. So they were trying to call my bluff. So I was like, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. But I was angry. The next time I went out training on behalf of them, um, I was chatting with the client and I started doing this then for about four or five clients after that, kind of going, oh, by the way, how did you hear about this training? Um, how did you come across this company? And no joke, the response was, oh, Google search. And, you know, we, we contacted about four places and they came back really quickly um, and they were quite reasonable. So my brain was like, Louise, you're an SEO person. Come on now, you know, we got this. So like a woman possessed one weekend, I rebranded, re I suppose, my entire site. I called myself like Ireland's LinkedIn training specialist. I wrote four blogs in one weekend, all about like how to stuff on LinkedIn. And slowly but surely, I my site began to climb up and then I, I bypassed them in the Google search rankings. Then I started to get more phone calls. I started to get more inquiries. So I stopped working with them because all of their LinkedIn work dried up. So I had carved out such a reputation for myself, um, not only through my site, obviously, but my network. I was doing a lot more speaking events. I was doing more conferences. Like you need all that. You need to build up all that as well. It's not just website stuff. About two years ago, um, I was like, I need to more, I need to write more like how-to stuff on LinkedIn. And the big one was, I suppose when the pandemic hit, it was the the open for work, you know, the hashtag open for work, um, the, the green kind of frame around your picture and the open to work section. I was kind of being asked a bit about that, like in my talks. And so my brain just went, oh, frequently asked question. This is a hot topic. I wonder how many people are Googling how do I do this? How do I turn it on? What is it? How do I turn it off? So I wrote a blog with like screenshots, quite comprehensive. So was that. And then I kind of noticed it was getting good enough traffic. Started working with VMware, didn't think too much about it. The other day I popped into my Google Analytics. It's just like, it's getting a couple of thousand visits a month. And I'm just like, what? What's going on here? Has it been referred like from a big site or something? So I went into incognito and I Googled, you know, um, uh, LinkedIn, um, open for work setting. And my blog comes up at the top, not even on number one, it's got its own section up at the very, very top with some of the screenshots. And I just went, okay, well, that could be a mistake, you know, because because it's on my computer, so it might like know my search history. So I went to another computer, went into Google or went into incognito, typed in the same thing, made sure it was like google.com, not google.ie, exact same search results. And I just said to myself, well, that makes sense. No wonder it, I'm getting that much traffic to this blog. So blogging is powerful. 
And that is, for me, that is search engine optimization. It's not about WordPress plugins. It's not about fiddly little bits. It's that intersection between having the awareness and the knowledge and, and, and that gut feeling to know this is a frequently asked question. This is a problem that people have on scale. This is what they're going to type into Google. I know the answer and I'm just going to bring quality to my answer. It might take me a year for the traffic to take off, but this is the intersection. Does that make sense? I love that story, especially with the kind of quiet backend lesson of it has to be quality content because what quality content gets you is like on the absolute high end is that Google starts referring to you as like the kind of canonical answer, which very rarely happens, right? A lot of times it'll be IMDB for, um, for like media content or, um, I think there's probably a partnership with, uh, Wikipedia to show some of those like answer cards, but for you to so thoroughly like answer a question that, you know, Google decides that you are the canonical answer to something above even the company who's like, you know, publishing the software on it. Like that is amazing. And that's, that's writing a quality blog, not going through your, um, the search terms that, that landed people on your page and just stuffing all those search terms into the meta tags. Right. Yeah. And like people, job seekers, people Mm -hmm. are at the heart of that blog. And I just thought myself, you know, if I wanted to know all about this tool, if I wanted to know what it is, how do I turn it on? What impact it has? But critically, how do I turn it off? Where would I go? How would I learn how to do that? It's just, I suppose, once in a blue moon, it's just really resonated. And I was just, I was on the zeitgeist or whatever, you know, at the time. And I suppose it was just when the pandemic hit. And I suppose if you factor in now the great resignation, you know, where we've come out the other side of it, people probably want to know a bit more about that as well. Um, And unfortunately, if there's been redundancies and if people are open to work. And I've learned as well when it comes to LinkedIn, people always want to know about privacy. Who's going to see it? How is it going to appear? Will my company know? Will it appear on the newsfeed? So I made sure to address all of that within open to work because there is a very public public setting and then there's only a setting then that's available just to recruiters as well. Yeah, this is that link between learning, writing and curiosity that just can't be broken. I think that's fantastic. Now you've you've mentioned this a couple of times Louise and I think we should dive deeper and that's this idea of being made redundant because I want you to tell the story of what happened. Hearing the story straight from the horse's mouth, what did you think about that bartering story? I thought that was fantastic. Not only did she make a deal with somebody to trade services, she also tracked the progress and impact of her work. 
hopefully we all are documenting our work and its impact because that's super important. And there was a relatable experience there. Negotiation and initiative are what future employers saw as skills that Louise had because she had done that. And she put it on her resume as a job. I saw someone post on Reddit the other day that they had had to take some time off work to go and manage the farm for their family. And they were worried about addressing that gap in the resume. And after hearing this interview with Luis, my advice was put that on the resume because there has to be some relatable experience that a future employer would see that could help you in your next role. And I think maybe we forget that. We forget the types of things that we can list as experience on our resume. I liked hearing about Louise's experience in recruitment marketing and how she was really a translator, translating between the needs of the business and working with development teams and trying to get things accomplished, whether it's improved processes or updating features in the systems that she managed and learning Scrum. I mean, that's a great methodology to learn. Jonathan Frappier gave us a little bit of an intro into Scrum in episode 132, so you can go back and check that one out if you haven't listened to it. Maybe that's something that could help you in your career as well. Also, if you're somebody who blogs or podcasts or makes videos, have you ever thought to use the Google Search Console and download the search queries? I hadn't. That was that was new to me. I don't I don't know nearly as much about search engine optimization as Louise does, so that was really helpful to hear. And I liked her emphasis on quality over quantity. Even when you're talking about keywords, it's not just keyword washing your site or something like that. It is make it quality and get the keywords and search phrases in there at the same time. After being made redundant, Louise worked for a training company and did LinkedIn training, but she had to create her own slides and content. It was interesting for me to hear that because she had to create them on her own, she got to keep them, and she decided of a great way to reuse them because she eventually started her own business, SmartFox. That event was a springboard, and when you mix that with what she knew about search engine optimization, she was really able to elevate her game and help herself in a time of a lot of challenge. You know, what we didn't talk about this week is what being made redundant or being laid off actually does to you from a psychological perspective and what else went on during that five-month period when she decided to start SmartFox. All the experiences she had, you're going to find, come together and form some of the reasons behind why she made it to where she is today. I'll save that for next week. Just a reminder, we want people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter, at Nerd Journey. Farewell, listeners. Tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm Nick Cordy at NetworkNerd underscore, flying solo for now. For my buddy John White at V Journeyman, signing off.